This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this evening from Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel is a prophet to the captives in Babylon. God speaks to Ezekiel here of his duty to preach conversion. Ezekiel 33. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword coming and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth, and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. Thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus he speaks, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, 
walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. He shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, and he shall surely live. Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal, but as for them their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet he say, The way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, and the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, before he that was escaped came, and had opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning. And my mouth was opened, and I was no more dumb. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land is given us for inheritance. Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes toward your idols, and shed blood, and shall ye possess the land? Ye stand upon your sword, ye work abomination, and ye defile every one his neighbor's wife, and shall ye possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword. And him that is in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord, when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against, or literally of thee, by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. But with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well in an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this, is, when, when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33. Lord's Day 33, we are in the third section of the Catechism regarding our gratitude to God for so great a salvation and teaching us about that gratitude, the Catechism in Lord's Day 33 speaks of conversion. Of how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist? 
of two parts, of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. What is the mortification of the old man? It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. What is the quickening of the new man? It is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which proceed from a true faith are performed according to the law of God and to His glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. <laughs> Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the goals of preaching is true conversion. When the trumpet of the preaching sounds forth from the pulpit, Conversion of sinners to the glory of God is a goal. I preach this evening also so that as we sang in Psalter number 49, based on Psalm 22, the ends of all the earth shall hear and turn unto the Lord in fear. This goal of conversion is not only the goal of a missionary when he preaches on the mission field to those who are yet in unbelief. It is also the goal of the pastor, the preacher in an established church like this one, to those who are considered mature Christians of the Reformed faith. Yes, conversion, conversion is necessary in the church. It is a goal of the preacher. He earnestly desires that the Word of God is a power to turn the hearts of sinners. Today, I seek your conversion. Whether you are a child or an adult, in your teenage years or your retirement years, whether you are a member without a special office or in office, whether you are under discipline or not, whether you partook of the Lord's Supper or did not partake of the Lord's Supper, whether you are regenerate or not yet born again, whether you are continuing impenitently in sin today or repenting and believing, I preach for your conversion. Conversion as defined and described here in Lord's Day 33. The prophet Ezekiel did that. Notice verse 11 of Ezekiel 33. God told him to preach such. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? To the church, notice. To the house of Israel, Ezekiel preached conversion. Don't get distracted by the claims of those who hold to common grace. Don't get distracted by the claims of those who hold to a well-meant offer that this text in verse 11 somehow teaches that God has a sincere desire for everyone to turn. That's not true. That's read into this verse. It doesn't say that at all. But it does mean positively that Ezekiel preaches to the church and to God's people. They must turn. There must be conversion. Ezekiel preaches, as I mentioned already, 
to the captives in Babylon. God warned Ezekiel early on in Ezekiel 3, the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. They will not listen. All the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. And yet God told Ezekiel, go and preach. As a watchman, go and warn. Preach anyway. And there would be a remnant that would be converted. But as a whole, they would not listen. And so Ezekiel did. He preached for their conversion. He called them to be converted. And as he did so, it seemed like there was an effect on the, upon the people. Many came to him, as you notice at the end of Ezekiel 33, saying things like, Good sermon. Thy voice is a pleasant voice to us. As a lovely song, we did hear thee. We heard the word of God. And to the flattered Ezekiel, the Lord came and revealed to him that there was no true conversion. But all that he heard of the people in response to his preaching was a sham. It was a fake conversion. The Lord said to Ezekiel, They come unto thee as a people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But they will not do them. With their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. House of Israel, may that not be so in this congregation. But let there be true conversion. I preach not that you might like me. I preach not that you might compliment my sermon, though it is not wrong for you to give encouragement. I preach not so that you might find something really interesting and new, a different perspective, though you may. I preach not so that you feel good about yourself and you feel good about your church. I preach that the Spirit might kill you, that there might be a mortification of the old man so that it kills, as it is said. And there is true conversion, and a true quickening, a revival, not of the shallow kind of the charismatics, but a quickening of the new man unto a joy of heart, unto all good works. True conversion is the theme of Lord's Day 33 in the sermon this evening. First, the meaning. Second, the contrast. And then finally, the calling. <coughs> When Ezekiel and many other passages in Scripture speak of conversion, the Scripture uses the word turn, turn ye, turn ye. That is the word for conversion. Conversion is, as defined, a turning of the regenerated child of God, both inwardly and outwardly. A turning of the regenerated child of God, both inwardly and outwardly. So that there is not only repentance and faith, inwardly, but there is also a change of life or behavior, outwardly. That is conversion. Let me prove that to you, that it is both an inward and an outward turning. 
You can see that in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, the text I already referred you to. Notice that when God through Ezekiel calls Israel to turn, this conversion or turning is from His way, meaning His way of life. This turning which Ezekiel calls for is not only a turning of heart, but also of behavior. It is not only a turning of behavior, but it is also of the heart. It's a change of both. Notice that also in Lord's Day 33. Regarding conversion, we'll delve more deeply into the meaning of mortification and quickening, but now notice the description of conversion and the answer. In question and answer 89 we find, more and more to hate and flee from them, that is, from sinful works. You find in that description not only a sorrow for sin, an inward turning, that's repentance, but an outward turning, a change of life, a fleeing from sinful works. Notice question to answer 90. Conversion is ascribed this way, not only joy and inward, but with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. There's conversion for you. Both an inward and an outward turning. I ask you that tonight, have you been converted? Are you converting? Having partaken of the Lord's Supper, is the effect of God, of Christ in you, conversion? You must be converted. There must be conversion. Inward and outward change. Conversion is not a condition for salvation. Conversion is not what you must do to be saved. Conversion does not save you. It is not the way to the Father. Christ alone is. But conversion is. Conversion is. Christ's work of salvation in the hearts of all His people. Every single one of them. Are you converted? Are you converting? Without conversion, question and answer 87 of the previous Lord's Day says, you cannot be saved. To get conversion clear in our minds, let's distinguish conversion from regeneration. Regeneration comes before conversion. The orderly manner in which Christ works in our hearts is that first, He regenerates the heart from deadness to life. And then, it causes that heart to turn as conversion, to turn in faith and repentance and turn from evil works to serve Him with all good works. Regeneration has to come before conversion because before regeneration, you and I were dead, utterly passive, dead in sin. With respect to good works, with respect to faith and repentance, utterly passive. Dead in sin. And then in God's timing, 
The Spirit worked regeneration. When that Spirit worked Christ's life of regeneration in our souls, we were resurrected. God, by His Spirit, planted in our hearts on the throne of our souls a new man. We were utterly passive in that. For a dead man cannot bring himself to life. He's brought to life by Christ's Spirit to regenerate us. And having regenerated us, Christ by His Spirit then converts us. And that conversion is not utterly passive. Perhaps the confusion today, nowadays, is simply or has simply to do with a confusion between regeneration and conversion. Having regenerated us, the Spirit works in us a turning. He works in us both the will and the act of repenting and believing and then doing good works. First regeneration and then conversion. Having distinguished conversion from regeneration, then now distinguish or relate conversion with repentance and faith. Here's a simple relationship. Repentance and faith are the inward part of conversion. Conversion is broader. It includes works, turning from evil works to doing good works. Repentance and faith are narrower. The inward, the turning of the heart. And true sorrow for sin unto Christ. Notice that question and answer 89 and 90 speak of both. The inward turning, repentance and faith, as well as the outward turning, the change of life. You saw that already. Conversion is the broader. Repentance and faith, the inward and the narrower. What are we called to? Conversion. Both repentance and faith and a change of life from evil works to all good works. Are you being converted? Are you being converted? Do not imagine that you may have an inward turning and not an outward change in behavior. That's not true conversion. That's an antinomian conversion, which is not true conversion at all. Do not imagine that you may have an outward change of behavior without an inward change of heart. That's not true conversion. That's a legalistic or hypocritical conversion. A fake kind. Let there be in your heart a true turning, a true sorrow for sin, and a clinging by faith to Jesus Christ. And let there also be a change from your evil works unto good works. That's how all the preachers of Scripture preach. John the Baptist, 
He preached repentance and faith. And then also, Matthew 3, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or consistent for repentance. Paul preached, Acts 26, 20, that they should repent and turn to God and do works, meet for repentance. In Ezekiel here, in Ezekiel 33, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, your life. Does that mean we're justified by works? Absolutely not. We're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. But along with justification will come true conversion of soul. And true conversion of life. Yes, in conversion... Christ must work. I can't turn inwardly or outwardly. He must work in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And He does. Every child of God says, He does. He enables me I heard this week someone sneer with denigrating language at the word enable. That Christ enables us so that we do good works. And that sneering and denigration is to sneer and denigrate the canons. Head 3 and 4, Article 13. The manner of this operation describing conversion cannot be fully comprehended by believers in this life, notwithstanding which they rest satisfied with knowing and experiencing that by this grace of God they are enabled to believe with the heart and to love their Savior. We are enabled in this inward turning and this outward change of behavior. To deny that, To minimize and ignore conversion is antinomian. It is against the creeds. It is heretical. It must be preached against. The preacher who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ includes the work of Christ's salvation. Yes, that He has fully and freely covered our sins by His precious blood. Earned for us all of salvation by His cross. And also, Having done that, having justified His people, He does work in them. Real conversion. And when that happens, God's people experience what the catechism describes as the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new. If you are being converted, then you will feel this, you will experience this as you turn. The old man, as you know, is that totally depraved, sinful nature that we have. We were all conceived with such, and only with such. He was in the throne of our hearts. And then at regeneration, as we mentioned, the new man took the place in the throne of our hearts. The new heart was given us. And that old man still is there within our person, still raging, strong, 
as wicked as ever before, but the new man rules. The new heart reigns. The Catechism uses the strongest of terms now to describe our experience of true conversion regarding this old man and this new man. There is a mortification of the old. That's a violent word, children. Mortification means killing. And I'm not in any way encouraging your violent video games or any ideas of killing other people, which you might call elimination. Put that aside and focus on this kind of killing. This mortification. The killing of the old. That's a figurative expression that we may not misunderstand. I qualified immediately. When the Catechism speaks and the Scripture speaks of killing or putting to death the old man, it does not mean that the old man will get weaker. It does not mean that the old man will get less evil. It will still affect us. And all our willing, thinking, feeling and bring us to many failures and faults. But in conversion, there is a killing. And that means two things especially that you will experience in your soul. First, there will be the stopping of movement and the infliction of pain. That's the figure, isn't it? In the mortification or killing of another person. That's the illustration. There is a violent stabbing, shooting, strangling until that person moves no more. You know what killing is. In your person, beloved, there is a war. And there must be in conversion. Yes, a violent stabbing, shooting, strangling. Not physically, but spiritually. To struggle to stop the movement of that old man who rages within. Mortify the deeds of the body. Don't let him do that which you lust after. When the lust creeps up, kill it. Don't click. Don't touch. When the craving wells up within you, don't reach for the bottle. When the pride wells up within you, kill it. Do not boast. Stop the movement of the old. And secondly, regarding mortification, there will be pain. It does not feel good. Self-denial does not feel good. Sorrow, as the Catechism says, of heart that we have provoked God by sin does not feel good. Knowing that we have pierced Him there by the sins we minimize does not feel good. There's pain within. Hating and fleeing from the pleasurable sin does not feel good. That's the mortification of the old man. 
And there is at the same time a quickening of the new. Quickening of the new. The new man does not get stronger. The new man does not become more holy. It already is perfect. That new man in the throne of your heart. But that new man affects your person. It affects your faculties, your willing, your thinking, your feeling, and your doing. When there's a quickening of the new man, think of quickening. Pictures of resurrection. There's an increase of activity. When a man like Lazarus rose from the dead, he moved, he walked. He obeyed his master and came forth out of the tomb. He served Jesus Christ with his life. The quickening of the new man is an increase of activity to do what Christ has called him to. Serve in thankfulness your Savior with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works, all coming forth from joy. Joy, the catechism describes, as a quickening of the, new, of the new man. There is a joy that fills the heart as we gaze upon the cross to look to our Savior and delight what He has done for us. You want to live in all good works. True conversion is both an inward turning and an outward turning of the regenerated child of God so that He mortifies the old and quickens the new. The primary problem in Ezekiel's day was a fake conversion. That's the contrast before us. A fake conversion. Ezekiel preached, turn ye, turn ye. And the people acted like they turned. And for a little while, Ezekiel thought they were turning. But it was an empty show. Four descriptions briefly about this fake conversion in Ezekiel's day. I preach this not to accuse you, but that we might be warned and we might be converted from a fake conversion. First, this fake conversion involved those who heard but did not do. They were hearers of the word but not doers. Sharp words at the end of verse 32 are these. They hear thy words, Ezekiel, but they do them not. James, as you know, echoes those very words in James 1.22. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. True conversion includes doing. We're not talking about extraordinary works to impress others. 
We're not talking about comparing ourselves to another person we look up to in the church and trying to do everything he does. Not according to the imaginations of man. Not, kind, not those works. We're not talking about works that impress other people that you might be thanked for. We're not talking about big mission trips and large donations and eloquent public prayers. What's a good work that we're called to do? Obey the law. That's the last question to answer. What are good works? Those done in obedience to God's commandments. Fight your sin. It goes against those Ten Commandments. And live in true love, following the law of liberty that Christ has freed you unto. Do your devotions. Worship God daily. Flee sin. Fight your addiction. Hold your tongue from gossip. Love your wife, the closest neighbor to you. Speak the gospel to your child when you chastise him or her. That which no one else might notice. Be converted unto good works. Do them. Be hearers, yes, but also doers of the word. The description of those who did not truly convert. Those who were hearers but not doers. Second characteristic of fake conversion in Ezekiel's day is impenitent covetousness. Verse 31, the end of it. Their heart goeth after their covetousness. Covetousness is any selfish desire. It is the heart continuing to say, I want what I want rather than what God wants. Me first. That's the idol. And then the pleasures of this earth and other people and things become idols as well instead of God being our God and the only God. That's not only forbidden in the Tenth Commandment, covetousness, but it relates to all the commandments, as you know. Any desire for sin is covetousness. That's convicting. The child of God knows with sorrow in his heart. He's a coveting person. He is an old man. He is a covetous nature. Ezekiel is not describing a heart, however, that struggles with covetousness here. He's describing an un unconverted heart that continues impenitently in covetousness without true conversion. Their heart goeth after their covetousness. Ezekiel is describing a people who acted like they were listening in church. They looked like they were engaged. They shook the hands of the minister after church even. They complimented him about his sermon. But all the while, the entire time, they had no intention of fighting their sin. Their hearts 
intended to continue to do what they want. No sorrow, no repentance. The minister said, Beware a warning, the idol of your foe, of alcohol, of money, the things of this earth. The people said, Good point. And they continued in cruise control to fill their life with that which they had been warned against without any sorrow or the coveting heart. True conversion is repentant of covetousness, which is idolatry. The people in Ezekiel's day were hearers but not doers, impenitent in covetousness. And third, engaged in self-righteous works. And verse 32 says, they do them not. God was not telling Ezekiel that the people did not do any outwardly good-looking works. No, they did. Remember, they came to church. They sat, we read. They sit before Ezekiel. They kept the Sabbath day outwardly. They listened carefully. They were able to talk about the sermon with Ezekiel afterward. With their mouth, they showed much love. They showed much love outwardly, verse 31. They even, we can say, invited people to church, verse 30. Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word of the Lord. They had lots of outwardly good works. What were they doing? Verse 13 reveals a lot. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. You hear what that verse is saying? The people kept their bosom sins continued impenitently in covetousness, and all their outward good works were to cover their sins, were to make up for their sins. You know how subtle that is, beloved. As the old man within, it's a self-righteous old man. I want to do good works to make up for the sin I did, sin I have. I want to really repent of my sin. And those good works, outwardly that I seek to do then, are not really good works. I come to church twice and I continue in true doctrine and I continue to be a member of a Protestant Reformed church. And that's all to make up for my sin? No! Those are not good works any longer because the Catechism says a good work must proceed from a true faith. A true faith does not rely 
and good works that I do to cover for my sin. True faith does not rely on my good works to make up for my sin. But true faith relies on Jesus Christ alone and His perfect righteousness. I cannot make up for my sin. He must be my righteousness. True conversion is to cling to Jesus Christ first. Then all my good works are not to make up for my sin, not to cover for my sin. All my good works are out of a true faith. So I lean upon Jesus Christ and I want to thank Him for what He has already done in covering all my sin. Ezekiel speaks of a fake conversion. Hearers but not doers. Impenitent in covetousness. Self-righteous works. And finally, description of Ezekiel of a fake conversion is a man focus. A man focus. Notice the pronouns repeated in verses 30 and following. The pronouns are thou and thee and thy. And all those pronouns are not referring to God, but to a man, Ezekiel. Thou, son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against or for thee or of thee. Of thee. Notice, not of the Lord, but of thee. Verse 31. They come unto thee. Who do they come to hear? They come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people. And they hear whose word? Thy words. Verse 32. And lo, Thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well in an instrument, for they hear thy words. They focused on the preacher. They focused on the man. They made Ezekiel their figurehead. He would make them feel good if he was a good preacher. And yes, they would attack him too if he wasn't a very eloquent one as well. They put him on a pedestal. The people focused on the man rather than the message. The messenger rather than the Messiah. The voice of the preacher rather than the voice of God. What are good works? Catechism asks. Those who proceed from a true faith, relying on Jesus Christ alone, performed according to the law of God, not according to the imaginations of man. And then this. This. Those performed to the glory God's name. Not man's. Not man's. Not man's. O house of Israel, let there be 
true conversion. Not fake conversion. True conversion of heart and life. Not impenitence and covetousness. But a repentance of soul for covetousness. Not a hearing and no doing, but a hearing and a struggle to do, though we'll never do it perfectly. Not works to cover for my sins. But out of faith resting in Christ alone, and then doing thanks. Not a man focus. But a focus on God and His Son Jesus Christ and His glory. Such is the calling of God's Word. The calling includes the call to myself as the preacher and as those who oversee the preaching. I must preach conversion. The elders must make sure there is preaching conversion, not merely an inward turning, but yes, and also an outward show of life, of good works, meet or consistent with repentance. It may not be a preaching that neglects the preaching of conversion that is antinomian preaching. I must preach, you cannot be saved who are not converted unto God. That's credo. That's the catechism. I must preach that you must obey God's law and thankfulness for Christ Jesus your Lord. There's a warning to those who do not preach that. Ezekiel 33 verse 6. We read that. If the preacher, as the watchman of Zion, does not trumpet a warning, which includes conversion, turny, turny, his blood, God warns Ezekiel, his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. That's how serious, that's how serious this call to the preacher is, to those who oversee the preaching. Even if accusations come to the preacher or to the church, too much emphasis on man, I must still preach conversion. And God's people must hear, must listen to the preaching that calls them to true conversion. Calling is not only to the preacher and those who oversee the preaching. Calling through the Lord Jesus Christ, or in the Lord Jesus Christ is to the people. Be ye converted. Be ye converted. Yes, even for the first time. When we think of the word conversion, sometimes we think upon conversion from unbelief for the first time. That's included. Be converted. The malefactor beside Jesus on the cross was converted for the first time. Paul on the Damascus Road. People on the mission field. And, yes, Necessary also in the church of Jesus Christ in this place for some. Be ye converted for the first time today. Turn ye, turn ye in repentance and faith and show forth works meet for repentance. And you can't do that of yourself. But those who hear, 
Christ's voice. Know Him that is brought to faith. And they follow. Yes. And that is in thankful good works also. But the emphasis of Lord's Day 33, as you can tell, it's not on the preacher's call to preach conversion. It's not that he be converted for the first time. The emphasis of Lord's Day 33 is that you are converting. The mortification of the old and the quickening of the new continues. More and more even. More and more. The sorrow. The sin. More and more. The hate and flee. More and more. To rejoice in Jesus Christ, your Savior. More and more. To live according to all good works. More and more. The more and more includes a comfort. That it's more and more means you'll never reach perfection in this life. You only have a small beginning. And your Savior forgives you. He's died for you. The more and more also means an earnest call. Don't think you've arrived. Let there be more and more conversion in this place. How will you listen to the law? That's in the next Lord's days ahead. How will you listen to the Ten Commandments as it is preached? Well, the Catechism shows us here on the basis of God's Word. Do not listen unchanged. Do not come as the people of Ezekiel's day, sitting, hearing, congratulating, period. But let there be true conversion. Amen. Let's pray. Jehovah God, turn Thou me. Each one of us do pray. Turn Thou me, and I shall be turned. For Thou art the Lord my God. May the fountain for sin and uncleanness be opened so that the cleansing power of the blood and water which flowed from Christ does flow into our souls, causing us to know how great our Savior is to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, of the guilt of sin, and how great our Savior is to turn us in the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new, both inwardly and outwardly, living into all good works. 
Let there be, O God, true conversion in this church for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, the one who turns us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.